Awesome. We uh, last week started a series on community and connecting with each other. Now that uh, we're hopefully out of this pandemic, at least for a little while, hopefully forever, uh, we are slowly learning how to get along with each other again and connecting with each other. Uh, it's been a little awkward, I know, a little awkward for me sometimes, knowing whether to hug or shake hands or not, or uh, whatever it might be, but um, we're kind of adjusting back into uh, hanging out in community. So we're doing this little series, and uh, we talked last week about uh, one of the barriers to deep community, whether it's as a church or as a community in general, or even as romantic partners or family and that is this idea of, of feeling like we're worthy or not of love and belonging. We've been looking at some of uh, Brene Brown's work. If you can click on the screen there, Michael, just to get it going. Awesome. We well, looked at this quote last week uh, where she does lots of research, various things, but she says there was only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and the people who really struggle for it. And that was the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. That is those people who have a stronger sense of community and friendship and family uh, have this natural belief in them that they're actually worthy of love and belonging. And those people who deep down inside are like, you know, I'm kind of worthless and I don't deserve to be loved or I, I don't deserve to belong to a group because I mess up so much, have a harder time connecting with other people. And so we talked about this idea of realizing that, that we are worthy. Every single one of us is worthy of love and belonging. We talked about how this plays out as well with our relationship with God because those who believe they're worthy of God's love and they believe they, they, they belong to God's family tend to really have a, a deep sense of God's love in their life. But those people who do not think they're worthy of God's love and do not think they really belong to God's family because they mess up all the time tend to be people who really struggle feeling the love of God in their life. So this plays out in our connection with each other, but also in our connection with God. And we, we looked at a picture of a baby last week, because they're always cute. I mean, we would look at this baby and say, this baby is worthy of his or her parents' love. We would say, no day. Of course this baby is worthy of his or her parents' love. We would probably even say that this baby deserves his parents' love. And yet we are children of God. And by the very fact that we are children of God made in His image, there is a sense that we are worthy of God's love. And there is a sense that just as this baby deserves his parents or her parents' love, we deserve God's love. And it's, you know, I love that song, Reckless Love, but I don't really fully agree with that line where it says we don't deserve it. I know we can debate that. But there is a sense because we are His children and that God is love that we do deserve His love because God Himself is love. I mean, Ephesians 5 says that you are the children that God dearly loves. He loves you. Uh, we look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. And here it says, A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son, talking about Jesus, who bring, brings me great joy. But we also know that Jesus, in his own prayer to the Father, says that the Father loved him the exact same that he loves us. The same love that God the Father has for Jesus is the same love he has for you. You are his child. You've been created in his image. And there's an absolute, absolute sense that you are worthy of God's love. 
And when you begin to see that, uh, you just become more open to God's love and you begin to experience more deeply because there's not this thing in you that, oh, I don't deserve it and please stay away and I, you know, I can't accept your love because I'm such a rotten person. Uh, those people don't send, tend to have a really deep sense of God just loving them because they're always kind of pushing it away. And we do this with each other as well. That when you come into church and you're like, you know, I'm, I don't really deserve to belong or I'm not really worthy of loving because, you, know, you know, I'm such a uh, screw up in my life, you will just tend to kind of push people's love away. And we talked about this idea that, that for a proper relationship between each other or with God, we need to give love and receive love. And we tend to be people who are better at giving love than receiving love because when we give love, we can control it. <laughs> when we receive love, uh, that's harder because, you know, we want to keep our, our walls up in our, in our lives. And so this idea that, that you are worthy of love and belonging, uh, you, when you walk into this door of this church, you're worthy of love and belonging, and you're worthy of God's love and belonging. Now, related to that, I want to talk about another barrier to community, and that is this thing called shame. And we do talk about this uh, from time to time. It's one of those things that we, we don't like to talk about. Because it's that thing in, inside of us that says, you're not worthy, you're ugly, you've you got to be better, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not enough to, uh, to, to belong or to be loved. Uh, they talk about the one, two, three of shame, and there's number one, we all have it, so this applies to all of us. Number two, no one wants to talk about it because we're ashamed of our shame, and so we want to hide it. And the less we talk about it, the more we have it. Uh, it's the truth. Uh, we all have it, and we've got to learn to bring it out into the open because one of the ways we heal from shame is by talking about it. So we're going to talk about shame today. Uh, shame is very much like, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Harry Potter movies. I know it was kind of a Christian thing for some people say, don't watch that thing, but I, I watch it, I like it. Anyways, there's these guys, and they're called the Dementors. And they're these really scary beings, and if you go to the Harry Potter Wikipedia, it says this about them. Dementors are among the foulest creatures that walk this earth. They infest the darkest, filthiest places. They glory in decay and despair. They drain peace, hope, and happiness out of the air around them. Get too near a dementor, and every good feeling, every happy memory will be sucked out of you. It's also the definition of shame. Partly. The shame, it, it robs us of hope, it robs us of joy, it robs us of the sense of belonging between each other and of God. Now, to work towards a little bit of uh, understanding about shame, I want to compare conviction, guilt, and shame. Because two of these things are really, really good, one of these things is really, really bad, and we can get them confused. Now, first of all, the Bible does talk about conviction uh, from the Holy Spirit. That the, the God who loves us, who lives in us, sometimes will convict us when we're not walking in love. Again, the primary command of Jesus is to love one another as he has loved us. And when we're really going sideways from that, sometimes God will say, hey, Jesse, that was really unloving what you just did there. And that convicts me, which should lead me to feel guilty about being unloving. Uh, guilt has to do with our own conscience. It can be made aware again by the Holy Spirit. But uh, Romans 2 talks about guilt, where it says God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts accuse them or tell them uh, they are doing right. And so we have this thing, we do something good, we're like, oh yeah, that's good. And if we do something bad, there's something that we kind of feel guilty. You know, I, I did something wrong, I hurt somebody, I said something I shouldn't have done, you know, I blew up and I shouldn't have blown up. That can be guilt. 
can also be called godly sorrow, as in 2 Corinthians 7. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. When you hurt somebody and you feel bad about it and you go and try to make it right or you bless, bless that person, that's good, that's life-giving. But guilt, if it's done in the wrong way, can lead to shame. And shame can be called in this verse worldly sorrow and it always, always brings death. It's like a dementor. It, it robs life from us. It pushes us and pulls us away from each other and it pulls us away from, from God. And so just compare, guilt uh, will always lead us towards God because, you know, I mess up, I hurt that person, you know, God, I need you. It always leads us towards each other, like I mess up and I hurt you, but I want to make this right and I, I want to bless you because I hurt you. Uh, it, it, the, the focus of guilt is always on behavior. I did something wrong. Shame, on the other hand, will pull us away from God. Oh, I just messed up. God, I don't deserve your love. I'm such a rotten person. God, just, you know, just, you, I, I don't think I can go into your presence today. I don't think I can go to church because the roof is going to you know, fall down. It leads us away from community. You know, I keep messing up. I, I don't deserve my family's love. I don't de deserve the love at church. And you know, I'm just going to go hang out by myself today because I, I just, I'm just such a messy person. It, it's always focused on belittling the self. Uh, guilt is about behavior. Shame is always focused on the self. Guilt is about wrong action, while shame is about being wrong as a person. Guilt will say, you know, I'm sorry I've made a mistake or I've done something wrong. Shame says... I'm sorry, I am a mistake, I have no value, I am worthless. And so if you, maybe were up late one night and you were partying like crazy and then you had to meet someone in the morning for an important meeting and you show up, and, but you're, you totally missed it by an hour. I mean, guilt would say, oh, that was really not a very wise thing to do to party all night. Shame would say, I am such a horrible person. Look, I did it again. I mean, I just can't do anything right. Guilt good, shame is bad. Uh, so we can define it this way. Uh, shame is a painful emotion caused by the belief that one is inferior or unworthy, uh, unworthy of love, respect, affection, or respect. Uh, I wrote that down wrong. Uh, another one, uh, Bernie Brown's definition, the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. It's this thing again of shame will always lead us to think that we are unworthy of being loved, unworthy of belonging, whether it's with each other or with, with God. Uh, here's just a couple of biblical examples. I mean, here's an example of shame in Luke 5. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, you saw Jesus do this crazy miracle. <laughs> And he fell on his knees before Jesus and says, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. I am not worthy of your presence. I'm not worthy of your love. I am such a rotten, horrible human that uh, please just go away. That, that is shame. Uh, guilt would be focused on behavior. We see David more in the guilt mode. This is when he took the census and uh, it was an act of pride. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now, O oh Lord, please remove the guilt of your servant, for I have acted very foolish. Again, guilt is focused on behavior, and that's, that's actually very, very healthy and very, very good. Shame is focused on, uh, I'm crap, <laughs> I'm no good, I'm horrible, and, and I'm rotten to the core in who I am as a being. When you're in shame, you will tend to feel inadequate, 
Uh, you will often hide yourselves from others. You will often have difficulty making eye contact when you're in shame. You want to shut people out or withdraw. You definitely don't want to be the center of attention. This is why often, you know, us as men are like, I don't want a birthday party. I don't want a funeral. Is like, is because often we're ashamed to actually have someone love us or give us attention. Um, but God, you know, he celebrates over you. He's dancing over you. In fact, he throws a party. It says in Luke 15, when, when you turn your heart towards him, uh, perfectionism is a symptom of shame. I have to get this perfect or else they're going to see me as a failure. I have to have every eye caught on and I've got to read this email 20 million times to make sure there's no mistake in it because I, I don't want to feel shame that I'm not good enough or perfect enough. I'm being afraid to look awkward, inappropriate, or stupid. Often we're actually just afraid to be ourselves in a group because we want to kind of look like everybody else and if we look like ourselves, I'm going to feel awkward and that can bring up shame. Uh, feeling rejected, uh, again, this idea that I don't deserve to be loved, forgiven, or cared for. I can't receive God's grace. I need to work for it. And this idea that, again, I'm unworthy of God's love or unworthy of receiving his love often ends up in religion. <laughs> to make myself worthy, I got to do. And I got to serve. I'm going to do all these things for God. Then maybe I'll be worthy of his love. Then maybe I will belong. And as soon as you do enough and feel that you're worthy of God's love, all of a sudden you look down on all those other people who aren't doing what you're doing and you end up in judgment. I mean, it's a horrible trap. I, don't, uh, I can't receive God's grace, I need to work for it, or I need to make atonement for my sin, that you can't just receive the good gift of forgiveness. You're like, I, God can't forgive me, I'm such a horrible person, I, I'm going to read my Bible every single day for a year, then maybe I can, I can earn God's forgiveness. That comes out of shame or, or self-sabotage. You know, all of a sudden you find the perfect romantic partner or if all of a sudden you, you find God is blessing you, but all of a sudden you think, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve goodness in my life. And so you self-sabotage your job or your career or your relationship to get back to where you think you belong and that is, that is kind of in the trash. Uh, blaming yourself for others' mistakes. This happens, happens a lot. Um, you know, I, maybe you're young and your parents divorce. You can, you can feel that that was your fault somehow and therefore... Uh, you shame yourself. Now, here's why it's important. Uh, Brene Brown says, and also because she's like the foremost shame researcher, shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, suicide, bullying, aggression, violence, eating disorders. Shame and addiction are so intimately correlated, we don't know where one starts and the other begins. It's the perfect storm. They are finding out that shame is the breeding ground for a lot of the most difficult emotional things that we struggle with, especially things like addiction. Um, the most hardened criminals in prison are some of the most shame-prone people in this world. I mean, shame is like a dementor. It robs the good things from us. And so we need to make sure that we're getting rid of shame out of our life and we got to make sure that we are not people who are shaming other people. Because when you're shaming someone... You push them towards this, where the research actually shows that guilt actually has the opposite effect. Shame robs life, but guilt, where it's focused on behavior, knowing that you're still worthy of love and belonging, guilt will actually cause you to get stronger in your life. And here's just one group who works in addiction recovery. They say guilt heals, and the feelings of guilt are a sign of healthy recovery. Guilt allows healing by allowing ownership and empowerment. Guilt is connected to behaviors, and behaviors can be changed. 
Shame is poison to recovery. In fact, shame is one of our worst enemies. In treatment, we've learned that the more one accepts their guilt, which is about behavior, the less shame they carry. If we can get someone talking about their behaviors, we can decrease their feelings of shame. And so when we're dealing with community and each other, we're going to make sure we stay away from shame. And this is especially important for you parents. I'm still a parent. My kids are, you know, 21, 23. But, you know, it's very easy as a parent to, to parent out of shame. You know, you're so, what are you doing? You're such a horrible kid. <laughs> you know, where you're, you're, you're talking about their self. Good parenting always focuses on behavior, not who the person is at a core. You're dealing with a child of God, someone who's made in the very image of God, someone who God loves so perfectly that, we, you know, James 3 talks about how every single person on this planet has been made in the image of God. So how dare we use our words negatively towards them? Because that leads to shame. And so, again, shame is focused on Degrading self, guilt is focused on behavior. And so it's really important to understand whether you're guilt prone or shame prone. Because some of us will automatically go to shame. Some of us will automatically go to guilt. And that would probably be based on how you're parented, how you actually see God. Because your view of God plays a huge role in whether you end up in shame or guilt. Um, and so you can actually take this test. I'll leave this up here for the next few slides. There's a little test you can do online. If you want to know, you might already know. But in this test, there's a few questions like this. While playing around, you throw a ball and hit, and it hits your friend in the face. How do you, how do you respond? Would you feel inadequate that you can't even throw a ball? Like, I'm such a horrible person. I can't even throw a stupid ball. That'd be shame. Uh, you would think maybe your friend needs more practice at catching. That's blame. Because here's the thing, when, when, when something happens, you will end up in guilt or shame. Uh, but if you have shame and you can't handle the pain, you will often push it towards blame. If you know somebody, or maybe you are, someone who is constantly blaming, that's a reaction from you can't handle the pain of shame, so you want to put it on someone else, and so it's always somebody else's fault. And so I'll be blamed. Or here, here's guilt. You would apologize and make sure your friend feels better. That's focused on action. Uh, just one more from, from this test. Uh, you're taking care of your friend's dog while they are on vacation and the dog runs away. You would think, I am irresponsible and incompetent. <laughs> you know, I can't do anything right. Again, this is, that's shaming. Or you could say, you would think your friend must not take very good care of her dog else it wouldn't run away. That, again, that's blaming. That's the other response. Or you would vow to be more careful next time. That, that, that is guilt and that is good. And so whenever we are interacting with ourselves when we make mistakes, whenever we interact with each other when we make mistakes, because I'll tell you one thing about this church, we're all really messy people and really diverse, and we're going to make mistakes. Or you're focused on your kids when they make mistakes, you have a choice. Whether you're going to move them towards guilt and behavior, which is good, or move them towards shame, which is very bad, or blame, which is, which is equally as, as bad. And our shame can come from a lot of places. Uh, a lot of it comes from our childhood, I mean, probably all of us can think uh, back to issues that we carry shame from maybe the way we were growing up or things that happened when we we're, were young. It can happen from self-criticism and judgment where we're overly hard on ourselves uh, how, how, or having high standards. It comes often from a victim of bullying or abuse if your parents were abusive or others are abusive because you can kind of think, well, maybe I deserve it and you know, that's why nobody loves me because I just super suck inside and, and that can happen in victim of bullying or abuse. Uh, experiencing a deep failure. Uh, you, you divorce. 
I mean, you really, really mess up at work and you're fired. I mean, these things, instead of focusing on behavior, can go right into the core of our being. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves wanting to pull away from each other and pulling away from God because I'm just such a horrible person because you, you feel that you're totally unworthy of love and belonging because of your screw-up. Uh, rejection from others. You know, people around you reject you. It can cause shame. Education in school. You know, 85% of people can point to a moment of being shamed in school especially in the area of the arts. And they talk about one of the reasons why we're so behind in our culture and arts and creativity. It goes back to so many kids being shamed in school when they're first experimenting with music and art and, and dance and different things that they get shamed and they're like, well, I'm never doing that again. Media is a huge source of shame. I mean, a lot of it's built on, hey, you don't look good enough. Or, hey, you're not, you know, doing the right things. Or, hey, you could be, you could be advancing. You got to be like those in the movie. And it's like, you know, why can't I be like that? And I'm not like that. And shame. Of course, the accuser, the enemy. You know, in the Christian worldview, Satan and demons. Uh, the name, one of the names for Satan is the accuser. And his most powerful weapon is shame. And that's why whenever you, you hear you say, like, I suck, or I am horrible, or I can't do this, or I'm such a loser, that, that, those can be thoughts that the enemy is putting into your mind. Family, friends, and loved ones. And, you know, religion, and sometimes Christianity, can be a shame factory. I mean, a lot of people who struggle with deep shame can trace it back to religious experiences because sadly, sometimes religion focuses too much on, on you know, shaming rather than conviction or guilt or shaming the person and then pushing them away. So you're not worthy to be here anymore. You don't belong to this group because you didn't follow the rules and because religion is all about the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, what often happens is you're shamed. And this is why in a lot of religious communities, I think we're kind of, we do better at this is in a lot of religious communities there is no vulnerability why because maybe you tried to speak up one time and you were shamed because you weren't following the religious rules and they're well i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not saying anything now <laughs> or you know hey brother let me just keep you accountable brother you know tell me your sins and you do and then they shame you they're like well you're not you know i mean there's a lot of that that happens in religious circles especially in the area of sexuality. And this is why some religious people are so hard on anything sexual is because, because we often carry a lot of shame in that area. So uh, where is your own shame? Again, it's important to know this in order to work with God through this. To know where you struggle with shame because when you recognize it, then we can start bringing that to Jesus. Then we can start saying, God, I want you to touch this, this area of shame in my life because it, it is hurting my relationship with you and it's hurting my relationship with, with others. And so one question we can ask is, what area of your life do you keep really, really quiet about? Because shame grows in us from silence, secrecy, and judgment. Shame makes us quiet and being quiet makes us feel really alone. So what area of your life do you feel really, really alone in? What area of your life are you just really, really quiet because you think if you said anything, you're going to be judged or shamed or people are going to brush you off to the side because you're not worthy of love and belonging because look at that in your life. I mean, what area are you very quiet about? That's probably an area of shame. Again, we all have it. There's not one person here who doesn't have it. Uh, secondly, what area of your life are you constantly judging yourself in? I mean, you're constantly beating yourself up and like, ah, oh, I did it again or oh, it's such a screw up. It's probably an area of shame. Uh, number three, where do you find yourself negatively judging other people? Uh, from Brene Brown's book, she says, Research tells us 
Now, we judge people in areas where we're vulnerable to shame, especially picking folks who are doing worse than we're doing. So where do you find yourself judging people? I mean, we know as parents, if you're a parent, parents are always judging other parents. Why? Because every parent knows they're not perfect. Every parent knows they're screwing up somehow. And we have shame about that. And so we always want to find another parent who seems to be doing worse than us. And we'll judge them. How, look at how they're raising their kids. Or I can't believe in it. What kind of parents are those? Because it makes us feel better about our own shame. Or we might look at someone like, do they look, look what they're wearing? I mean, their butt looks so horrible in those jeans. And usually comes from people who themselves struggle with their own looks. I mean, this is research-based that you tend to judge others and area your shame. And again, this is one of the reasons why, especially Christianity and other religious groups, are very judgmental about anything sexual. Because we all, most people, carry some sort of sexual shame. And so we always want to find someone else who's doing something that we don't like and we'll judge them because at least it makes me feel better about my own sexual shame. Again, where do you find yourself negatively judging other people can highlight where your shame is. And lastly, where do you think uh, or what do you think would make you more worthy of love and belonging? So again, if we go back to the definition of shame, it's the intensely painful feeling or experience or of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So fill in the blank. I would be more worthy of love and belonging if. That is probably an area of shame. And the good news is God doesn't want you to be in shame. God never shames you. God wants to heal us of these things so that we will flow more deeply in our relationship with him and flow more deeply in our relationship with each other. Now, in two weeks, we're going to talk about moving out of shame because next week, our super awesome Pastor Mark is going to be uh, speaking and she always brings such a good word. Um, but two weeks, we're going to, but I, would, I don't want to leave you there because it's all like, this is depressing. <laughs> It is depressing, I know, because we don't like talking about it. So, uh, first of all, you are not defined by your shame. Whatever that is in you that says, I'm not good enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, worthy enough, or whatever it is, that is not the real you. That isn't. You are not defined by your shame. You are defined by the fact that you're created in the image of God. You're defined by the fact that you, just by being a human, are worthy of love and belonging. And, I mean, when we look at the biblical definition of identity, it is always about this reality that you are in Christ, it's not, you're not defined by your shame in Scripture. I mean, 200 times the New Testament identifies followers of Christ as being in Christ. It is the most common identity statement of the Scriptures. Who are you? I'm in Christ. Which means you're loved, you're forgiven, there's no condemnation, you are blessed by God. Uh, 60 times the New Testament followers identify you as a saint. That's, you know, if you feel like, oh, I feel shameful. No, you're a saint. <laughs> Uh, it's actually only two or three times the New Testament identifies Jesus' followers as sinners because, I mean, yeah, we make mistakes and yeah, there's a fact that we're sinners, but that's not the real us anymore. We have a new heart and a new relationship and Jesus is in us that we are defined by this new reality, which is actually at its core a shame-free reality. And so when we deal with each other and we talk about each other, we talk about each other in this category, that person over there is someone in Christ. That person, and even if they're not part of the church, that person is someone who is made in the image of God and they are a human and God loves them and they are worthy of love and belonging. We all are by the very fact of who we are. And so this is what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, but 
it, to move out of shame, I mean, you got to know that's not the real you. Uh, you are worthy of love and belonging. Uh, you got to know where you're prone to shame and what triggers it. And we kind of looked at it a little bit because once you realize that I'm prone to shame in this area, like for me, man, I'm really prone to shame if I'm not working hard. It's because the way I grew up, I had to work all the time and I'm just like, I get my worth from doing work and I, I have no problem working 10 to 12 hours every single day, no problem because if I'm not working, I feel shame. It's one of the things that I've been working on for years, getting better on, but I'm very sh shame prone there and I know that. And so I'm aware of that and bringing that to God. Where, where are you shame prone? What area of your life do you need to be bringing to God? And I want to re reality check the messages of shame with who you really are in Christ. Does this actually line up with who I am in Christ? I mean, sometimes I think this is my identity, but, but is it really? No, it's not. And then you want to tell your story. They have found the most healing thing to do when it comes to shame, but it's also the most hardest thing to do is to talk about it. Shame does not survive in the light. And this is why the less you talk about your shame, the more you tend to have it. Because when you start talking about it and you share with others, all of a sudden it's in the light and, and, and Jesus lives in the light. I mean, he lives in our darkness too, helping us move toward the light. But there's something about being able to share your shame. And my prayer for this church is that we continue to be a safe spot to do that. Now we all look different and we all have different stories and different battles, but we're all working towards Jesus and it's messy. And, and, but we have a safe spot where when we share what we're struggling with or share our vulnerabilities, that we are not faced with shame. And uh, the reality is, and I just want to end with this, is that God is never shaming you. And this is something that kind of negative religion has taught sometimes, that God is so ashamed of you. And then, and then when you, if you believe God shames you, it's very easy to shame others because I'm going to follow. Well, God shames people, so I'm going to shame people, shame people. I've shown this before and I'll continue to show it a lot. But three times in the New Testament, Romans 9, the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. God is not shaming you. Even when it comes to the darkest, most deepest, horrible things that you're struggling with, those things that you're like, I would never tell anybody about this. God is loving you right there and he is not shaming you one bit. He wants to meet with you there and he wants to build that and help you kind of work out of that shame and to bring you into community where you feel more loved by others and more loved by God. So Father, we thank you that you do not bring shame upon us. God, we are thankful that we are th safe in your presence. God, you know our hearts and we can, we can share whatever with you and you just love us, God, and, and you're there for us. You're not against us. God, I pray you would help us as a community walk in that light and model after you and to not be caught up in shaming one another, but loving one another and walking with each other, God, through our shame. In Jesus' name, amen.